Well, hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. It's a little chilly in the shed this week. There was a heavy frost outside overnight, um, but I've got a new heater. Um, hopefully, that's going to work to uh, keep me warm throughout this podcast. We'll see how it goes, shall we? Anyway, what are we talking about this week? Well, a few more news items um, have kind of cropped up and caught my attention. The first um, concerns a European book publisher uh, that set up a book awards. I know we keep getting dragged back, don't we, to awards and competitions, but it seems to be such a dominant element of where we currently are in the photographic community. So many reasons for that. Maybe we'll explore some of them uh, in future podcasts. But for today, let's just uh, for today, let's just. Uh, Let's just address this one that I spotted. Um, the idea is that the winner gets published um, with four to six hundred copies of their book being published. Um, and there are a number of other kind of little things around that as well, distribution deals and so forth. I suppose in a sense that's absolutely fine. The entry is 30 euros, so not a huge amount of money really. So why am I even addressing this subject? Well, well, I'll tell you. The reason is because this is being run by a book publisher. And I don't get that. I don't understand why a book publisher should be charging you to submit books for them to see, to decide whether or not they wish to publish them. Surely that's the job of the book publisher, to look out for interesting projects, interesting work, uh, interesting photographers to consider the viability of those projects uh, financially and um, and publishing. That's what a book publisher does. But evidently not. Evidently things are changing. And those publishers feel the need to charge you, set up an awards, to submit your book for them to publish. When you put it like that, it doesn't really make very much sense, does it? Unless, of course, what that book publisher is doing is using that entry fee as another form of revenue. And that kind of, I suppose, introduces us to this idea of the photographic competition wearing a cloak to kind of disguise it. Maybe this is like the photo competition wearing glasses and a false beard, trying to pretend to be something other than it is. The second story that caught my attention this week, you may also have seen yourselves. The organisers of the Dutch photo art fair, Unseen Amsterdam, have declared bankruptcy after losing a partner and key financial support in recent years. Um, and it's been taking place since 2012. Many of you may be um, aware of it. The International Contemporary uh, Photography Platform's international arm, its media arm, and the fair are all bankrupt, while the Unseen Foundation, its independently run charity, well, that remains standing. According to organisers, last year's fair in Amsterdam attracted around 25,000 visitors. Who's to say that people aren't interested in photography? And in 29, that was in 2019, and they hosted 52 galleries. Well, that makes me start to think, well, all of those galleries, I presume, have paid to be hosted. Uh, so where did the money go? There was a quote in the article I read, I think it was in Art News, and it said this. 
this year's edition of Unseen Amsterdam has been a great success, says the artistic director, Marina Palenka. And she boasted this in a statement at the time that every element of the programme has thrived over the past three uh, days. So who should we believe? Shall we believe that, uh, that marketing, that PR statement? We're looking at a affair that uh, attracted a large amount of people and 52 galleries. And yet, it's all gone bankrupt. It's all gone wrong. So where did it go wrong? And why did it go wrong? And how is it that the Unseen Foundation, an independently run charity, that remains standing? Now, again, we may just look at this and think, well, you know, why, Grant, are you talking about this? Well, I'm talking about this because I came upon the story uh, via a tweet by somebody who hadn't been paid for work they'd done. A freelancer who'd been kind of left out to dry by this bankruptcy and was now finding themselves in a situation where they were owed money. And I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast have been in that situation. And I'm sure many of you are in that situation at the moment where you're chasing money that you're owed from clients who are constantly promising to pay you. But for some reason, somebody is on holiday or somebody didn't sign that or the computer got it wrong. Or, as I've had in advertising agencies, oh, we only pay once a year. Yeah, that's a true story. Well, I suppose what brings all of this together is this whole situation behind the financing of photography and photography as a business and as an industry. And I've spoken previously about very large flashy galleries opening up around the world. And my questioning as to, well, what it actually is behind all of this. And I think that's the question that I was left thinking about today, uh, this week, and in, and this and today in this week's podcast was, well, what's going on here? Are we being taken as mugs by funding these situations? Are they being honest with us? Are they being transparent with us? Unfortunately, increasingly, and it may just be because I'm getting old and cynical, but I don't think they are. I think there's an awful lot of stuff going on at the moment where people are seeing photography as a way to make money and create revenue streams. And what they're forgetting is that without the photographers, they don't actually have anything at all. We're nothing if not international here on A Photographic Life. And this week's contributor to What Does Photography Mean to Me certainly uh, encapsulates that idea of internationalism. Julia Fullerton-Batten was born in 1970 in Bremen, Germany. She moved to the USA in the same year with her family, where she stayed until 1979. Before spending six years back in Germany and then moving to the UK in 1986, she studied at the Berkshire College of Art and Design in the UK before working as a freelance photo assistant and progressing to work full-time as a professional photographer in 2001. I can remember her coming to see me as an assistant and showing her work. I can't remember where or when, but I can certainly remember meeting her. Uh, I wonder if she remembers meeting me. Anyway, 
Her body of work now encompasses 12 major projects spanning a decade. Her body of work titled Teenage Stories 2005 is an evocative narrative of the transition of a teenage girl to womanhood. This and sequel projects portray the difficult stages and life situations of an adolescent girl's transition to womanhood as she grapples with the vulnerability of her teenage predicament. A book of the work was published in 2007. Her more recent projects consider social issues frequently covering controversial subject matter, including The Act, created in 2016, a comprehensive study of the performing and private lives of 15 women active in the UK sex industry. Julia's use of unusual locations, highly creative settings, street cast models uh, accented with cinematic lighting, they're all hallmarks of her very distinctive style of photography. I think I'll use the word approach. I don't really like the word style. She has won countless awards for both her commercial and contemporary art practice and is a Hasselblad master. Julia lives now in London with her husband and her two boys. What does photography mean to me? When I started shooting my own art projects, it was my way of doing therapy. I recreated stories of my childhood, my difficult teenage years, and I was actually doing therapy at the time, but it was a way for me to release and to dig in deeper. It was quite difficult at the time um, when I was creating or recreating the stories of my past with um, actors and sets and theatrical lighting. Um, but it was, um, yeah, just very therapeutic and for me very important. It's a way, photography is a way to find a release and face, face it and deal with it. Um, when I actually come to shooting these subject matters on the day, I've been through the therapy and now I'm just trying to tell the story. And since then, um, shooting personal projects for quite a few years now, I now recreate stories. I did a project on blind people because that's one of my biggest fears is not being able to see, not being able to take photographs ever again. So I interviewed many blind people, what it must be like to be blind. And that was a really interesting project for me. It's also a way of connecting with the world I recreate stories that inspire me. For example, I did a project on feral children, children who became feral by neglect from their parents and be behaved more like animals than humans. And it took me a long time to work on the project 
to produce it and to research all the different stories. And I thought it was such a fascinating subject matter. How could someone like Marina Chapman, who lived in Colombia, um, was drugged and thrown into the jungle and survived by herself at the age of 10. No, younger, sorry, she was five, for about five years, just copying the behavior of these capuchin monkeys. I find that quite the story quite unbelievable, that I had to recreate it with children actors, and there are many different cases. So I've photographed different projects um, that I that interest me and recreate them the way I like to see the world. And to tell the story also to other people in the world. Um, lately, I've, I visited the Li Shui Festival in China. It was a big photographic festival and I exhibited my work Old Father Thames, which is a recreation of historical stories along the River Thames. And what I find so amazing about photography is it really connects people. We are all there for one reason, and that is our love, our passion for photography. And it amazes me how so many people go to these festivals, galleries, museums, to look at photography. It means so much to so many people. And I really can't imagine doing anything else. I feel truly grateful that I can make it work, working as a photographer. I shoot advertising campaigns and I shoot my own artwork, exhibit the work, I give talks and collectors invest in my art. And I am forever grateful that I can live this way. So what does photography mean to me is a very long, it's a very long, complicated answer, and I could go on forever. But thank you for asking. Bye. Thank you, Julia, for your contribution this week. I think when you listen back to these um, these answers to the question that people come up with, they're so fantastically honest and I suppose in many ways raw. And I, I really thank everybody for taking um, the responsibility uh, so seriously. A few things that come to mind there with what Julia was saying, obviously, you know, her intense passion and her feeling and her connection with her photography is evident. It's evident in the narratives she builds. It's evident in the way that she spoke there. But also what's interesting to me is that she's a very successful advertising photographer and she's able to bridge those two worlds that many people see 
are completely alien to each other or disparate. It is possible to tell very personal stories and make connections with people and actually then take that work and take that kind of approach, that visual language, and take it into the world which is, I suppose, the complete opposite, that idea of the big money and selling of the brand. So I think if you're not aware of Julia's work, really important to um, to have a look at it and um, make your own mind up about that uh, transition between contemporary art practice and advertising work and see how she does it. I use the word there, responsibility, when talking about these contributions, and, and I think it's a word that's very important. I personally use a lot of these contributions in my teaching, and I also recommend to a lot of uh, students who I speak to about photography that they check out these uh, contributions on the podcast. I always recommend, you can always uh, kind of fast uh, forward me and just get to the meat of the business and listen to the photographers. Why I think that's a responsibility is because what we're doing here, I hope, is explaining to people who are either halfway through their career towards the end of their career and beginning the career or at that incredibly important point when they're deciding whether photography is for them as a career. And these people, these photographers who come on each week and take on that responsibility of explaining their relationship with the medium are really kind of opening a door, I believe, to young photographers to get a true understanding of how important photography can be to your life and how important life can be to your photography. I don't know if you're listening to this podcast and you're involved in academia in any way. Uh, if you do the same thing, if you find these podcasts useful in your teaching, then do please let me know because I'd be really intrigued not only how you use them, but also what the response of your students is to them. Do you have conversations around them and so forth? If you're a photographer who's not involved in academia, are you having the same thing? Are we picking up on things here that you feel are really relevant to your life? I really hope they are, because that's the intention of everything we do here, is to just open up that dialogue in a very respectful and open way and recognise that we all have a view, but we don't always have to agree with each other. And in fact, we shouldn't. But the one thing we really shouldn't do is condemn each other just because we don't agree with each other. Anyway, that's the end of my preaching this week. Uh, just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Julia. I hope you join us next week. And in the meantime, please take care. Mm -hmm.